Hello, happy new year. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Not The Top 20 podcast. This is the Monday pod, and it is a Monday, I'm told, and we're sponsored by Betfair. I knew that already. I'm Ali Maxwell. He's George Ellick. George, happy new year. Happy new year. It's great to be in the same room as you for the first time in a long time recording a podcast, and there's a lot to look forward to in 2022. Did you ring in this newest of years in, well, in proper fashion? Uh, yes, I'm getting over a, a, a big old weekend, it's fair oh, to say, yeah. which, is, which is good. Um, the 6.30 alarm to go and play golf with you this morning was a bit of a shock to the system. Mm. Uh, I was As in- were my three pars to start. Yeah, and then your two pars to finish. Um, my, uh, yeah, my, um, I, had, I had a fun weekend in Bath with some friends. Um, we had a very good time. It was last minute. Um, and it was great. So you're going to Bath in a couple of days. Everywhere I can go, you can go better. That's exactly how I see the world, <laughs> for sure. Thank you so much to everyone who listened to the pod in 2021. It was a great year, a terrible year in many ways, <coughs> a strange year in the EFL for so many reasons. But talking about the football uh, and some of the other nonsense and you guys engaging with it and enjoying it, hopefully for the most part, made it all worthwhile. We are full of beans heading into 2022 and we've got a, a decent docket to talk through from New Year's Day, from the 2nd of January and a couple of championship fixtures that have just finished 20 minutes ago, which we watched on my sofa with the puppy. Two very exciting games, you have to say, George. Why don't you talk me through Reading 2, Derby 2, with, what, 10 minutes to go? It looked like the Royals were coasting to what would have been a crucial three points for them, putting a big old gap between themselves and Derby. As it was, Wayne Rooney's Rams came roaring back. Yeah, it was a funny game, um, because you know, for those who listen to the betting show, I was of the opinion that Derby would get something out of it and and yes you know eventually that that was proven to be the case but uh, for for the majority of the game it didn't look like it was going to be and especially in the first 10 15 20 minutes reading looked in my view well certainly in the first 10 minutes the better side derby grew into the game a bit without really threatening too much uh, luke plange had a a header over the bar where he probably should have done better um plange getting the nod to start ahead of uh, colin kazim richards again uh then well, Andy Carroll had a shot saved uh, before Junior Hoylet scored with a sensational finish. Uh, the kind of finish we've seen him produce before um, outside the box, coming inside off the left-hand channel onto his right foot and bending it into the far corner. But after that, it was... I mean, I know they went 2-0 up, but Reading's the way that they tried to manage the game was a bit disappointing against the Derby side who, at home, you wouldn't have thought they'd have too much reason to fear them. You know, I think, looking at the, the stats, um, I think John Swift had completed 11 passes up to the goal of which 10 are in the opposition half I think he only completed one more in the opposition half in the whole game so that shows you just how uh, Reading looked to sit on their lead and retreated into their shell with Derby absolutely dominating possession after that yes they went 2-0 up Hoylet scored a really scrappy goal from a set piece um, that wasn't supported by the balance of play at all um, that was Reading's third shot in the whole game mm. the other being the um the, the aforementioned Carroll header that was saved. And then Derby roared back into it and, and it was all they deserved. Uh, Colin Kazim-Richards with the first and then a, a 
sensational. You you compared it on the sofa to Cristiano Ronaldo. No, uh, Luke, uh, Lee Hendry. Luke Hendry. Lee Hendry compared it to Cristiano Ronaldo, and initially I laughed because comparing Curtis Davis to Cristiano Ronaldo would, in almost any other instance, make little <laughs> sense. And then they showed the replay where it feels like Curtis Davis has leapt six foot in the air. And then hung there for an extra second before yeah. planting a proper centre-back's header into the corner of the goal. It was a sensational header, a brilliant, brilliant comeback. Such an exciting finish in front of that Derby away end. I thought that the midfield two of, of Thompson and Bird for Derby, you know, no shinny, who often adds a bit of steel, a bit of grit, a bit of experience. It was pure youth here. And Bird, for me, in terms of picking out quality forward passes and a couple of instances where he carried it forward himself of course he's so proficient with both feet it was really nice to see that sort of performance from him in possession and Thompson was really tidy I don't think he was hugely ambitious with his passing nor did he necessarily need to be completed 84 out of 88 passes you know as always with Rooney's derby we are generally talking about very very young players but of course the more experienced uh, heads Helped to get them through this as well. Burn with a, with a magical cross for that Davis goal. Uh, I, I did enjoy the performance of Junior and or David Hoylett. Uh, not just his magnificent opening you goal. Did, you didn't enjoy? No, I did. Good. A okay. few really nice teasing crosses which didn't find Carroll's head, but on another day might have done and would have done so in a very good position. So uh, I was impressed with Hoylett, I think it's fair to say. But in general, it's one of those kind of head-scratching ones, isn't it, George? We'd have been... We'd have been praising Reading if they'd won that game 2-0, if they'd seen that out. And yet, the fact of Derby scoring two goals has has <clears throat> kind of changed the narrative. And you look back and you think, actually, did Reading play particularly well anyway, even had no. they seen that, that out? Uh, no, that's my, you know, that's what I was getting at. I think the game is there for Reading to continue to, to try and, and attack. Um, but they didn't seem to want to do that. And I don't think, as much as I want to credit... Um, Derby, I don't think it's a case of Derby grabbing the game and preventing Reading from doing so. It was just a team who, you know, I mentioned in the betting show, the pressure was probably more on Reading here to get a result than it was for Derby mm. because of Derby's situation. Um, and they looked to just sit on their lead rather than, than anything else. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, game, I'll be, I'll be pretty a, frustrated. It was a really important game for the relegation battle in that uh, there's 11 points between Derby who are bottom of the table and Reading who are the team just above the dotted line mm. 11 points which if that had been what would it have been 14 had Reading held on to their win would have felt like a, a step backwards for Derby as it is it's still 11 and I'm sure yourself and the Derby fans will still be clinging on to some hope that they could catch Reading in reality, in terms of what these two teams have done this season in 23 games for Reading and 25 for Derby, you're looking at a Derby side with 32 points, which would be good enough for uh, 13th or 14th at this time, and a Reading side who are 21st, but with a minus six deduction, they would ordinarily be above Swansea on 28 in, in 17th place. So it's kind of interesting how yeah. it's, a, it's a crucial relegation battle between two teams who haven't really played the season as, as relegation candidates on the pitch, mm. um, but have... Or, or have been thrust into that situation because of what's happened uh, off it. An, an intriguing game and an exciting finish. Yeah, and, and also I think with with Reading, it's a, it's a case where the expectations of, of you and I and other people who follow the championship is probably very different to, to the fans, where the fans will see that they have picked up enough points to be uh, further up the table than they, had, than they are so far. And they will see, despite them being the closest team to the relegation zone now, 
they will have absolutely no um, expectation of them being sucked into it because of their performances so far this season. Whereas I probably, and you, not to put words in your mouth, but I think generally um, I would still see today as being the game between the most likely side to go down in Derby and the most likely side to be caught in, in Reading. So mm. even though um, you know it, their, their point salaries to this point don't dictate that, uh, I would still say that, that in the second half of the season, these are two sides who are going to be embroiled in this mess for a while longer. I don't know why, but I feel like we've started off quite serious here. Mm. We've we've started off like really trying to give our best analysis, yes. which I don't know whether it's because we're in the same room and sitting opposite each other for the first time in ages, but I think we should lighten up a little bit. Do you want me to get silly? <laughs> we could get a little bit silly. Um, we've opened a bit of liquid assistance on that note, and we're going to talk about Stoke 1, Preston 2, Feels a long time ago since Ryan Lowe's first Preston game. It was. Which was uh, on the 11th of December. We are now the 3rd of January. They won that one 2-1 at home to Barnsley. They won this one 2-1 away at Stoke City. From behind, no less, uh, George. This was a, a, a pretty intense game. It was a first half where... I'd say an even first half in which Stoke had the majority of the attempts on goal, albeit very few of them particularly good opportunities and certainly not many of them uh, troubling the goalkeeper Iverson but not long after half time we saw something I don't think any of us have ever seen before and that was the top knotted long haired Ben Wilmot who looks like he should be at Glastonbury wearing a retro football shirt and listening to George I'll lean to you who should Ben Wilmot with that hair be listening to Wolf Alice I mean, yeah, I guess so. Wolf Alice. I mean, I, look, I think he probably looks more like one of the members of Wolf Alice. <laughs> one of the members of Wolf Alice on stage at Glastonbury instead of playing right centre-back in Stoke's fairly stodgy 3-5-2 as it is at the moment. Anyway, stepping into midfield, receiving a square ball from Chester, um, uninspired by the options in front of him and launching a rocket into the top corner at what looked like 100 miles an hour from 30, 35 yards. A, a jaw-dropping strike from Wilmot. Amazing hit. Absolutely amazing out of, hit. Out of nowhere. And that's the end of the positives, really, for Stoke. I think it's that's the end of the pod. I was like, amazing, I can go to bed. <laughs> that's the end of the positives for Stoke because the last game on the 30th was a desperately disappointing home defeat to Derby County. Before that, they drew 0-0 with Middlesbrough. That was all the way back on the 11th. They'd beaten QPR on the 5th of December, but that was preceded by two defeats, 1-0 to Blackburn and Bristol City. They take the lead here against a Preston side who are looking tricky, if not hugely penetrative, and they end up losing the game. I think we should focus on the positives of Preston, George, but we can't ignore that Stoke fans will be very disappointed by what they're seeing over the last month or so as well. I think the issues with with the Stoke run is who they're dropping points against. Um, You know, they have won one of their last six games, losing four. In that time, they've lost to Bristol City, they've lost to Derby, they've lost to Preston. Um, Those are three teams in the the bottom half of the division who, with the exception of, well, I mean, there are obviously reasons in Derby's form and Preston's form to upgrade that a little bit, but generally um, that is not so good. They also lost to Blackburn, who we can forgive them more a little bit, even though they were at home. Beating QPR away from home is clearly the pick of the form, but there's... uh, they were in a very strong position in the championship going into this run of games and Stoke fans and Michael O'Neill would have rightly looked at the league table and seen this as an opportunity to 
really imprint themselves. You know, you look at the teams around them and they're not, you know, they're in such a good position previously. They're not miles off it. They're in eighth at the moment on 24. So having played 24 games, 35 points. So only a couple of more wins and they'd have been up with QPR and Huddersfield in the, in the playoff area. It's a massive opportunity missed. Um, and you know, I like Michael O'Neill a lot as a, you know, he, he comes across very well. He has moments where you think he's a very good manager. He's clearly very capable. And, and I think there is, you know, given what happened at Stoke City uh, prior to Michael O'Neill's reign, I, I think we can always be fairly confident that Stoke are going to be okay at worst. Um, but this has been a constant where they're never consistent enough or the, 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 the poor runs of form aren't short enough to mean that they don't therefore start lagging. And this is now... You know, we've just become used to being to Stoke being a side between mid-table and the playoffs, and not really threatening too much else. There's obviously still a lot of time, but I'm just starting to wonder. You know, not from my point of view, I think Stoke would be mad to do anything now. But is there a time in the next couple of weeks or months, if this continues, where Stoke fans start to wonder if if he is the right man to lead them on? He's obviously been incredibly popular so far in his tenure, but that that always has a breaking point. Now, what they couldn't handle was Ryan Lowe's Preston North End. And now we can pick things up a bit because it's hard not to talk about them with a smile on your face. It's hard not to enjoy watching what we've seen in just two games so far, we should say. But we saw a central midfielder or nominally a central midfielder playing at right wing back. It wasn't as it was against uh, Barnsley, Ali McCann. This time it was Brad Potts. I think it's well known across championship circles that Brad Potts and the Preston North End fans have had a tricky relationship, by which I mean uh, a large part of the Preston North End fans do not rate Brad Potts and would rather that he didn't play for Preston. Well, they won't be feeling like that this evening because he scored... I mean, you're a fan of unique goals. Yes. I'm not saying this was entirely unique, but a, a deep cross from the left to the right side of the box and Potts hit a sort of mini scorpion but also somehow catching it perfectly with the outside of his right foot so that instead of slicing it or looping it miles wide or or skewing it back the other way, it absolutely flew mm. into Adam Davis's net. It was just a, another sensational goal in this game. <clears throat> Assist from Daniel Johnson, whose performance I think was uh, worthy of a mention. He played in the number 10 role in Ryan Lowe's 3-4-1-2. It was very notable how... Regularly, he was popping up in all areas of the pitch. He was combining with Earl down the left and Jakobsen um, as the left-sided forward in terms of working the ball out wide, wide rotations. These are all features of Ryan Lowe's previous teams with Plymouth Argyle and Berry that we've known and loved. And it looks like Johnson, because he's such a smart player in that midfield role and a creative player as well, is going to fit that bill very, very nicely. They had Whiteman at the base picking forward passes and doing that well. Brown box-to-box box in the number eight role with Potts right wing back and Josh Earl left wing back. The back three of Berg, Bauer and Hughes. And then it was Evans and Jakobsen up front. And again, George, it was exciting that the winner, as it came, was a set-piece goal, corner from Whiteman, headed in by Hughes. I sometimes feel that sets of fans get a bit overly negative when things aren't going that well and a bit overly positive when things are going well. I might have thought that Preston fans were a bit more negative about Frankie McAvoy as I would have been. But now I'm fully on the Ryan Lowe Preston hmm. North End train. It's hard not to be pretty excited about what we've seen so far. Yeah, definitely. But I think you have to temper that with it being two wins, marginal wins, and the performances haven't been incredible by any stretch. I mean, Preston had six shots in the game today. 
Um, and they they didn't, you know, it wasn't a case of them turning up and being, you know, I would say the the derby performance against Stoke is probably more impressive in itself. But having said that, there is quite clearly a an air of positivity at Preston and a belief. And, you know, you hear Ryan Lowe talking and it's very hard not to get behind what he's trying to do there. And he's been very quick to say that it's going to take him time in his belief um, to get Preston to where he wants them to be in order to have them being a force in this league. So for them to get six points in their first two games is massive. And, you know, it comes with the fact that even though Preston fans wouldn't have seen it themselves, wouldn't have wanted to see it themselves. Um, Ryan Lowe came into Preston with his first job being to make sure they didn't get into that that relegation battle. And that looks like now you've, you you can probably say job done. You know, those six points takes them, what, 12 points clear of, of Peterborough. Um, it'll be a, a, a remarkable turnaround of, of poor form uh, if that's to be the case. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm i excited by Lowe. I think the squad, you know, we often talk about managerial appointments and we say the squad doesn't really necessarily suit the players. Um, the appointment doesn't suit the, the, the style the manager wants to wants to play with the players that he's given. Um, with, with Preston, that's quite clearly not the case. And I think we're already starting to see some players uh, perform at a very high level who who maybe, you know, I, I know Whiteman is a player who Preston fans are absolutely purring over, who seem to have another very good good game today, getting the assist for the, for the winner as well. You mentioned Johnson there a second ago. Alan Brown's had a very good start. You know, these are guys who are going to enjoy playing for a manager who's got the ethos of, of Ryan Lowe. So, yes, I'm very excited, but... You know, let's not get carried away here. I, I don't think this is a, a Chris Wilder esque. He comes into Preston and turns them into a you know a team who are going to start winning. We expect to win most games, um, but there are definitely positive sides, and a, and a couple of home games to come next uh, can only help that help cultivate that positive atmosphere. Okay, let's head back to the previous days. Winners in the championship, George. You can choose which of these you'd like to lead with. We saw QPR win two one at St Andrews against Birmingham. We saw Bristol City beat Millwall three two, and we saw Blackpool beat Hull one nil. Which of those would you like to lead off with? I think we have to talk about Bristol City Millwall. I agree. Um, yeah, I, I can't believe. That. Why, man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd said that quicker. Yeah, <laughs> you can try and edit it out. Sorry, Natal. There's the dog. Um, this, by the way, is another one of those festive period podcasts which I have no interest in editing. You can. I'd edit- like to get straight yeah. in the bath after this and and soak. So there'll be no editing. So if Natal <laughs> barks, you're all going to hear it. I feel like if there are any. Um, budding podcast freelance editors who listen to this podcast they should probably ping us an email at some point just (laughs) anyway um bristol city yeah i I love the the stat or fact whatever you want to call it that that he's nigel pearson sent out seven academy grads to start this game um and and understandably so you know on the podcast last week i spoke about how i couldn't pick bristol city and how baffled i am that they always managed to stay away from the relegation zone when, in my opinion, they quite regularly put in performances that are of the standard to get relegated from this division. Um, So why not do away with lots of the senior pros who don't perform and bring in people who, if you think they're talented enough, are going to be able to to go on and help the club and, and buy, you know, crucially you know looking at Kieran Maguire I think it was um, his timeline this week the, the financial situation at Bristol City is pretty alarming recently so a loss of 38.4 million pounds in yeah. the most recent financial year that's been reported so blooding young homegrown talent um, who will then have some semblance of, of value of sell-on value has got to be a shrewd way to start to operate I think it's um, quite good for Pearson just to 
improve his own standing with the fans or rather I don't want to say I've got to be careful and I don't want to say lessen expectations I don't think for a moment the Bristol City fans should lower their expectations for their club to perform better than they have been in the last 18 months two years or so but I certainly think it helps any fan when they understand that there's a development that comes with having Benarus and Scott mm. in midfield both age 18 that have Richie Towler being recalled from loan at Grimsby age 20 thrust into the back line yes he gave away a penalty and looked a little bit too slow there for, for a phobe uh, in bringing him down with Pring at left back with O'Leary in goal with Semenyo getting a good run of starts up top I think it does help Pearson it sounds horrible to say almost from a PR perspective where it's like okay we're, we're almost certain because of the points tally we have not to get dragged into a relegation battle that's too horrendous yeah. we're certainly not good enough to be challenging the top six I think we can fairly comfortably say and so this feels like a really good way to go to improve the atmosphere of the club and the excitement around the club in the second half of the season yeah so long as they are good enough to get the points <laughs> and, and you know so we should talk about the game where Andy Vyman um, in, a, in a team full of, of young academy grads it was obviously him and Matty James who slightly bucked the trend Callum O'Dowder um, and Thomas Callas, uh, those are the four players who were, were not um, those who came through the academy at Bristol City. And Vyman getting the hat trick um, here is, you know, not a massive surprise. He is regularly Bristol City's biggest goal threat, and and that was the case yesterday. Um, but for them, I think the impressive thing is them going behind, having taken the lead. They went one nil up through Vyman, conceded to another Bradshaw goal, uh, who's starting to look like the, the penalty box striker he was. Uh, all those years ago. Definitely the best cross I've ever seen Murray Wallace put in. Mm. Such a good ball from the left that I assumed Scott Malone was playing because it seemed more out of his playbook. But yeah. Wallace has obviously been working on that. And it's, it's quite weird that we've we've seen, you know, Jed's obviously out at the moment. Um, and we've seen, well, I mean, they, they obviously won their game against Coventry um, last week. But here... You'd think without without Jed Wallace, Mill's attacking output would be the thing that's affected, but it was seemingly them stopping the opposition from creating chances. But Benekafobe scored a penalty uh, to make it two one, and at that point, you know this is something we've seen at Ashton Gate quite a lot over the last few years of Bristol City being unable to hold on to leads, of, of losing games, of dropping points. Um, so for them to to do what they did, and, and we should say here, having given Nigel Pearson credit for playing seven academy grads he did take two off at half time in in Ryan in Brian hmm. Riley Tyler and uh, and Benarus as well brought on Hanno Masengo who is of course a young player himself but not homegrown and Chris Martin and the reaction from Bristol City fans when the team news came out you know quite often you'll see that where there's a player who I think the fans wanted not to play for a while um when they're dropped there is kind of a, a ridiculous reaction of 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 elation and Chris Martin came off the bench and proved his worth by playing a, a, a decent part in the comeback himself as well. So, uh, which is good to see because players like Chris Martin, especially when you're going to, as shown by Vyman, when you're going to go into games with so many um, young players and academy grads, having somebody like Chris Martin, in my opinion, is, is fairly invaluable and you can't really make this work without that smattering of experience mm. as well. So, it was, I mean, it was paradise for the Bristol City fans when Chris Martin was left out, but Pearson turned to him at halftime and said... And he turned to Pearson at half time and said, It's time to fix you. Yeah, 
Exactly. And he, and he said, did. I want you to be the scientist for us <laughs> by experimenting in the final third. He said, it can't be a team full of stars unless I'm on the pitch. Bristol City team turning it around stars. to win 3-2 with such a young team against a team that is known as a very physical team. Uh, well done. It did owe a lot to the incredible finishing ability of Andy Vyman, of course. Birmingham 1, QPR 2 or Blackpool 1, Hull nil. Yeah, don't panic. I'm trying to find it now. Uh, I think we go for Birmingham. Uh, Birmingham losing 2-1 at home to QPR. Yeah. Because Birmingham are in a pretty difficult position now. Um, the, the form is not good. It doesn't... Uh, there don't seem to be many signs of anything improving too much. We saw a pretty angry and upset Lee Bowyer um, on a touchline yesterday kind of unable to, to get his side operating at that high level. You know, we've seen players come back from suspension. Um, Gary Gardner back in the sides uh, kind of interestingly, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but I thought that when Woods and Gardner were back, we'd see Jordan James come out of the starting mm. lineup. That hasn't been the case. Uh, Woods came, came on for Gardner off the bench. Uh, I do wonder if maybe, I mean, having just praised Nigel Pearson for blooding youth I'm not going to sit here and criticise Lee Bowyer for doing it but given Birmingham's current form you do wonder if maybe he needs to be taken out the firing line a little bit in order to try and get them um, but I'd, I'd be happily proved wrong if Birmingham fans are, are going to tell us that he's the centre midfielder performing the best at the moment um, and a 17 year old up top as well George Hall made his debut for Birmingham City he's someone who when he signed his professional contract a few months ago that the club made a massive song and dance about it I think because he's been involved with England youth teams mm. and there's a lot of interest from higher up he played up front here I think he thinks of himself as more of a box-to-box midfielder to be honest but uh, again he did fairly well for for 85 minutes before Hogan came on realistically it was Anike who came off the bench for Birmingham and as he so often does when coming off the bench uh, when he can play 20-30 minutes at you know the maximum <clears throat> that his body allows him he was a bit of a handful for QPR but they, you know they were already two up at this point and they, they were good for it Birmingham didn't really do enough QPR they certainly won't feel like they've won this at their free-flowing best. And I wonder if there's actually a bit of uh, satisfaction in that, in the sense that I certainly don't want to pigeonhole Birmingham as Neanderthals, a strong, direct side, but they do skew that way, it's fair to say, uh, for the most part. And QPR, on their part, under Warburton, are probably known as as more of a a team that skews technical and, and maybe not so much physical. But in reality, the, the centre-backs, Dickie, Dunn and Barbe stood up really well to that. Field and Amos in midfield as well did a good job uh, in this game with Johansson not starting and only coming off after an hour. And then it was Uncle Albert who got the goal early on, wasn't it? A nice finish after a, uh, a brilliant dribble from Willock had, pr- had produced the situation. Willock, the man to talk about, the star for QPR, the man who in the next few weeks will have an even bigger workload than normal with Big Elias heading off to the African Cup of Nations. Strong rumours that QPR will sign Casey Palmer, who you'd think could be quite a nice sort of backup option to Chair and Willock if he can fulfil that potential that it's assumed that he has from his days as a Chelsea youth player that we've only really seen in small doses in the last, what, four or five years of of his uh, championship career, mostly on loan. But Willock's goal was absolutely sensational. His close control in tight areas, the way that he feints his body to send defenders off balance and then just dribbles around them. He makes defenders look quite stupid because Willock, he doesn't really dribble the ball at speed like a lot of players do, where you can almost understand, you know, someone going around you. He does it with such deftness and such quality. (coughs) 
excuse me, that it looks like he's just made you look a little bit silly. That's what happened here for his goal to make it 2-0. Just a sensational individual effort. If you look on the Opta Analyst website and you go on to the season metrics of 21-22 for the championship and you look at some of the individual uh, metrics, particularly when it comes to uh, chances that come after dribbles, Chris Willock is right at the top of the pile with 44 total chance-creating carries. Jokeresh next best with 41, Brierton 37 and Big Ilias 36. Um, but for, for Willock, what stands out is how often those dribbles end with a key pass or an assist, not just a shot at goal like a lot of those guys have. So sensational performance. He was a star man here. And QPR, they won 26 league games in 2021. It was a brilliant year for them last year by any measure. And they're off and running again here. That makes it three away wins in a row. I liked it just on Willock quickly when you tweeted off the Not The Top 20 account, some player or incredible player or something some like that. Some player, Chris Willock. Did you see who liked it? Chris Willock? No, Chris Willock's former manager at Huddersfield, Danny Cowley. Did he? Yeah. Good on Danny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, an, an amazing uh, year for QPR. And you you have to think of them now. In my head, you always think parachute payment teams, everybody else in the championship. And I think QPR have to be in you know the top couple of spots now in terms of where we can expect them to operate. Um, they should be, as long as Warburton's there, as long as this team is kept together, um, you know, I, it just feels like a completely different age that Eberieze was basically a one-man, one-man team at QPR, but not much has actually changed in that mm. time. But, you know, we've seen an incredible development of certain individuals and Mark Warburton, given time and support to build something, is has obviously done a very, very good job. So um, I... I hope. I mean, I'd, I'd be quite excited to see QPR in a in a, in, in the playoffs come May. Um, they'd be a fun team to be mm. to be fighting out for those Premier League berths. I couldn't agree more. I think we should shout out uh, Les Ferdinand and Chris Ramsey as well. Big players uh, behind the scenes as part of the, the football staff at QPR. Um, they've certainly helped Warburton to yeah to create this progression, this amazing development that you've spoken about, which. You know, until about a year ago from today, we, we we didn't really see coming. But I think they were putting the building blocks in place before uh, the, the fortunes turned around on the pitch. Blackpool won Hull nil. This one on New Year's Day. I watched it with interest because we had both picked Blackpool as our nap mm. on the betting show. And when it was a winner and you were uh, busy that day, you messaged me to ask, I think, two questions. One of which was, were Hull really bad? And B, was it a lucky winner for us on the nap? And my answers were, no, Hull weren't particularly bad, nor were they particularly good. But it did feel like a bit of a lucky winner, Mm. only because it relied on some huge saves from Daniel Grimshaw, Blackpool's second-choice goalkeeper at the the start of the season. Uh, A bit of a project for them, I dare say. Signed from the Manchester City or the City Football Group, sort of, uh, well, the, the, the Death Star, because he's been with City. He went on loan at Lommel. Uh, we haven't seen a huge amount of him in English football. Blackpool picked him up and he's been second fiddle to cousin Chris Maxwell, who is not only the goalkeeper, but of course the club captain as well. But with Maxwell picking up first one injury and then a recurrence of that injury, having come back for a game or two, Grimshaw's made that spot his own. And I saw a general consensus from Blackpool fans who love Chris Maxwell, by the way, 
saying if he came back next week, I would want Grimshaw to stay in nets because of some of the saves that he's made. You know, he did also provide a very bad kick out, which led to a big chance for Hull in the first half. So it wasn't all perfect, but it was his saves, particularly in injury time. And one in the first half, brilliant, brilliant reflexes to keep out a deflected Honeyman shot. He was the key man for Blackpool. Um, I guess going forward, Josh Bowler was just a constant threat. Uh, in the last few weeks in particular, he has looked so dangerous. Yeah. He's like a hot knife through butter with his ball-carrying oh. ability. A hot knife through bowler. And mm, I prefer the first one. Okay, well, he, he found... Because the... he looks quite buttery as well. He does look quite buttery. Well, Bowler found the edge of Greaves uh, for the penalty, which was scored. That's a cricket. Yeah, got it. Cricket. Took you a while to get that one. Mm. Uh, which was stuck away by big Gary Medine. And I thought Blackpool played pretty well in general. I, I was frustrated having backed them to win that... They were so poor at executing good opportunities that they created for themselves with, with some good play through midfield. Often Keshi Anderson, as impressed as I've been with him this season, can't believe his own development. He did often either make the wrong decision or just fail to complete a, a, a final pass or a shot, whatever it might have been. But a big three points for Blackpool after a couple of defeats that you rightly pointed out on the betting show had been a bit unfortunate, I think it's fair to say. Now, West Brom won, Cardiff won, and Blackpool nil, Huddersfield nil. I think we should go back to, to mostly leaving drawn games, don't you, George? Yeah. What I would ask you about, because it's another weekend of frustration for West Brom, and we should credit Cardiff for a good performance and a good point. I think they played pretty well in the first half against Bournemouth a few days before Cardiff, but after Bakuna's mindless red card, they went down 3-0 there. I want to give some kudos to Steve Morrison, because I've, I've been impressed with them, even in only picking up one point from their last two games. But with West Brom, it was a similar story to what we saw against Derby. It was by no means a good performance. And they've signed Daryl DK. Yeah. And we saw him clapping the fans. Being with his, paraded. With his big puffer on and his gloves, even though it's unseasonably mild here. I dare say it's a bit different slightly to Orlando. cooler than Florida. Yeah. Uh, Daryl DK was... I love this. I feel like we've been talking about DK being an obvious signing for Ishmael's West Brom for a few months now. Mm-hmm. It makes sense because he was excellent for Ishmael at Barnsley. Yeah. The MLS season is over. So as we know, there's a chance for these short-term loans like he had last time round. You know, he kept scoring in Orlando. I think he got nine or ten goals in the MLS season and finished very strongly. And West Brom, what did they need? It seemed someone to play as a number nine who can play in this system, who can perhaps offer a bit more physicality than the players that they have right now and add a goal threat as well. And then on the 1st of January, it gets done. That never happens. No. It's um, not alone either. Permanent signing. Exciting stuff. It's, I mean, it's a massive coup. Um, that's the thing that took me the most by surprise is that it's, it's, it's a permanent deal. Now, this is a player who, when he was last playing at England, in England um, for Barnsley, was being touted as being a, a potential uh, signing for some prop... Prop is a, a terrible word to use. Um, some, some, some big spending Premier League clubs. Um, apologies to literally everyone listening for for nearly saying that. Um, and then every report that we read, whether it was John Percy or whoever else, you know, all these very reliable people um, seemed to all suggest it was a loan with the possibility of maybe an option to buy at the end of the season. So. And you know, and also my concern about his welfare, as I expressed last week, is now is now eased, knowing he he shouldn't, unless he's an absolute madman and decides he wants to loan back to the MLS next season, um, he's going to get his break. Mm. I I think it's 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 one of two things. It's on the positive note, it is 
quite clearly a very good signing for for now and for the future because if he's as good as he was last season they're going to sell him for a lot of money at some point or he's going to be playing as a striker for them in the Premier League he is very good he fits into what Ishmael wants to do there's going to be no need for him to have to get up to speed he has a very good relationship already with um, the person who even though he won't be playing for in, in Baggy's next three games after being sent off but Alex Mowat has a relationship already with the most creative player in the, in the West Brom side has a relationship with the manager that's all great I do think and this is kind of how I feel at the moment um, with the ashes with the cricket mm-hmm. everyone I talked to did not expect that sentence everyone who I talked to about the ashes seems to list off about four players who weren't picked in the squads who they say would make the difference mm. oh the best batsman in English cricket are the two or three that aren't playing exactly. at any given time. And when I was in Australia, I think I was probably peddling this line as well. We all spoke about how if we had Ben Stokes playing four years ago, we'd have taken way more wickets and we'd been able to get them out. Right. Basically forgetting that, you know, it's one of those... And like when Paul Pogba doesn't play for Manchester United, suddenly he's the player they miss. You know, mm. Often you can massively um, romanticise the, the absence of something. And I think even though... DK does offer something completely different for them and it suits the style of play and it's going to be a great signing. I think we maybe have to just say it's not going to be as easy as him just coming into the side and then turning into the best team in the division and he's going to score 15 goals. Like, it might happen. <laughs> yeah. It might happen. But the, you know, the, the ghost of something rather than actually being there is often more appealing and it's easy when you are struggling. You know, often West Brom this season, even though in recent games they have been poorer, but for a lot of times this season, a lot of the season gone by, they've been absolutely fine at creating chances. It's not putting them away. And I don't think anyone, even though he's got a great shot on him, I don't think anyone is expecting DK to be one of the most clinical finishers in the league necessarily. He yeah. offers a lot more than that. He's a big one for the for the data lads because he has, I mean, it's, a, it's a, still a short career so far. He's played two MLS seasons and one half season in the championship. He has very consistently so far overperformed his expected goals uh, that he generates by, what, 30 40%. It's been talked about quite a lot on social media. There's a school of thought that he hits the ball so freaking hard <laughs> that that will help. He breaks He breaks the... Um, and yeah. he'll score some headed goals. And we know that those jet tend to be, you know, you know underweighted perhaps by XG models. It remains to be seen. My main question is, I, I just want to know how many times he's been to Disneyland in, in his life. It must be so many. I've been. I've been, we spoke about it last no, no, week, mate. You, no. you told, you teased us with a story, and then basically backtracked because you didn't want to tell. I've been twice. Some though. juicy, some juicy story. I went, I went when I was a kid too. Huddersfield drew nil nil with Blackburn Rovers. We won't go in depth here, but Huddersfield's defensive record is the thing to touch on here compared to last season, where they kept twelve clean sheets in the whole of the season, and I just never felt confident of them defensively. Uh, that's not the case this year. Ten clean sheets already. Defending is not only down to the centre-backs, but can't help but note that they did sign three centre-backs in the summer. Matty Pearson from Luton, Tom Lees from Sheffield Wednesday, and of course the jewel in the crown, Levi Colwell on loan from Chelsea. And those three, the starting back three, uh, look really good. Uh, lots of last-ditch stuff in this game. Pearson's obviously offered a massive goal threat from set-pieces. Lees, a uh, bit of... Hashtag experience and Colwell, just pure quality on the ball and defensively as well, particularly in recovery. Um, so different to last season. I think Corberan should take a lot of credit for that as well because there are certain managers who I will often say, 
I'm confident in saying they're just not good enough at coaching or setting up teams defensively and I'll never trust their teams defensively. And Warburton springs to mind to an extent. And dare I say it, Ryan Lowe, even though his Argyle side did start the season well defensively, I was starting to move Corberan into that bracket uh, and I might just hold off doing that just yet. No, you, you keep going. <laughs> okay, don't wave at me if you don't want to talk. I'm going to mention two more signings, George. Two strikers as well. Aaron Connolly is the first of Chris Wilder's uh, strikers that he signs I did want to say something in the January transfer window. Go on. Well, no, because I was going to say to about Blackburn quickly. Yeah, go on. That's I, fine. I want to give you a trivia question. Oh, okay. I was going to go and grab another beer. So, But go on, do the trivia question. So we spoke about Nigel Pearson mm. having seven academy grads. Yeah. How many do you think Blackburn had in their first 11 on the weekend? Or, yeah, on the weekend. Academy grads. Sometimes forget what day it is at the moment. Are you yes. counting Dolan there? No, I mean... Didn't start. Yeah. Did but, start? But, but he obviously wouldn't be one. He wouldn't be one because no. he isn't. Yeah. Um, well, I'm thinking... Do you count Travis? I think he was with one of the Merseyside clubs beforehand. But let's count Travis. Let's count Buckley. Let's count Wharton. And let's count Nyambe. So four I'm going with. Who I am think, I missing? I think Lenehan. Oh, and Lenehan, of course. Five. It's always funny when there's an academy graduate who's like 27 years old and yeah. you just forget that you can call them that. Travis went to Blackburn in 2014. So he would have been... Yeah, 16. I think we can give him... We'll claim it. Yeah. There's a lot of championship teams playing a lot of young players at the moment, George, and there's a lot of reasons nice for it, for both financial and viral. Uh, and um, Well, and yeah, I'm, except for the fact that they're going to Blackburn if they don't offer Brian Nyambe a new contract fairly soon and then they're going to lose them for free. There is the argument that that will happen Ooh. in Rothwell as well. Uh, I'm excited to see Aaron Connolly at Borough. I don't know loads about Connolly. I remember one period in particular where he was starting a lot of games for Brighton. Uh, and that came slightly out the blue. I remember from what I saw that he was quite busy, that he was fairly mobile, that he suited, obviously, the formation that Wilder plays now was very similar in in, in sort of pure structural terms to um, what Brighton were playing at the time, where he played as that sort of split striker, um, you know, just running the channels, running out wide, providing a goal threat where necessarily, but um, mostly drifting uh, and running in behind. And that will suit him very well. And of course... If he has a, a bit more of an eye for goal, a bit more of a natural instinct for goals, then I dare say Duncan Watmore or Onel Hernandez, who have been playing up top with Sporar recently, then he has to be a good addition to the Borough squad. Looking forward to seeing how many other strikers while the signs this January. And then Keenan Davis at Nottingham Forest. I've watched a lot more Keenan Davis than I realised from when he was very young playing with Aston Villa because one of our best mates is a, a massive Villa fan and is very fond of Keenan Davis. And... The Villa fans tend to be very fond of Keenan Davis, partly because of of where he came from. I believe at one point he was playing for Biggleswade Town, so his or Biggleswade United. Sorry mm. if I've upset the Biggleswade Ultras there. Uh, his, his his story to to the point of signing for Villa was brilliant. He's known as being an incredibly hard work hard working humble guy who everyone loves, and for Villa he was excellent in basically all facets of striker play except for putting the ball in the back of the net where he really struggled. And so I think there was a feeling, especially with them having moved up to the Premier League, that while it's someone that in a dream world they'd like to see get some minutes or they'd like to see developed because they want him to succeed with Villa, there's the sort of, you know, there's the there's the cold hard truth, which is those opportunities don't really exist in the Premier League, especially when your, your finishing is not on point. So I'm excited about Davis to Forrest because... 
I don't think for a moment that there's point there's any point in writing him off as a goal scorer just yet. I'm sure he scored quite a lot of goals in in youth and reserve football. I guess my main question mark here, and it's it's not Forrest's problem necessarily. It's more to do with Villa and with Davis himself. Is that Graben has started? What was it? 16 of the last 18 Forest games. He's been very, very good. I know people always say, "Well, you need, you know, you need to be able to rotate and stuff." But if Graben is a key part of Cooper's plans and starting the majority of his games, I fail to see where Davis gets loads of minutes here. Yeah. Now, again, for Forest that doesn't matter. For Davis and Villa, it, you know, they could look back in five months' time and think, "Well, one of our players has been on loan at a, at a playoff chaser." or a playoff team, dare I say it, but he hasn't really played much and now he's been sent back and his confidence has got no boost whatsoever. That would be my only concern for Davis. I but think but the, I, mean, I would agree with you with any other manager apart from Steve Cooper, who I just, the, from what I hear of him and what we've seen from him in the past, he seems like somebody who is unlikely to send a young player back to his parent club mm. feeling anything but empowered. Nice. <laughs> no, I, I think he'll, he'll get loyalty in his minutes and you know he, he is a player... Where I mean we've we've seen you know Lewis Graben even though he is a prolific striker he isn't necessarily a striker who fits in the mould of being an out and out centre forward and I think Keenan Davis might be, maybe fits that as well and we could see them playing together we could see them you know a a, a different system used in order to get him on the pitch more I'm sure the sales pitch from Forest to get Keenan Davis in will um, mean he gets enough minutes if he mm-hmm. if he performs well. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to League One and we'll pick up the pace. Morecambe 4, Doncaster 3. Even the scoreline, which is as good as scorelines get really, does not truly reflect, George, what happened here. And I've only just lowered my tone slightly because I remembered that on one side of this coin, there is a fan base hurting even more than they already were and they probably didn't think they could feel any worse. And that's Donny fans. But they could feel worse because... In the away end at Morecambe, in the first half, they saw their team, who had only scored three goals away from home in the whole of the League One season so far, score three goals against Morecambe, a team who they need to chase down realistically if they're going to have any chance of staying up this season. First, it was Barlow, which was one of the funniest and most rubbish goal-mouth scrambles I've ever seen. Then it was Gardner. Then it was Alowu, 3-0 at half-time. Morecambe's really poor run of form looked like extending. And then, George, as soon as the second half started, it was almost as if... Well, it was almost as if this was a training game where it was like, right, for 45 minutes, the blue team are going to just attack and the red team are going to defend. See how many goals you can score. Okay, you've got three. And now in the second half, the red team are the only team that are allowed to attack and the blue team have to defend. See how many goals you can score. The answer was four. Incredible comeback from the Shrimps. Incredible. Um, it's probably the worst way for a new managerial tender to get started for, for Gary McSheffrey. Um, you know, watching them against Sunderland, it definitely felt like a team who were looking just to stifle and stay into the game as much as possible um, without much hope or belief in terms of being able to get anything more than a, a point. To then go 3-0 up against a side who they are trying to chase down or, you know, these are two sides who are both going to be looking to to just maintain safety or maintain their League One status for next season. Um, to lose in the way that they did is going to be very difficult to come back from and it's going to make 
holding on to leads in the future incredibly difficult because this is now a group of players who have been um, who have thought they put themselves in a position to rally and to put some kind of run of form together only to come away with absolutely nothing uh, it is yeah it's going to be hard for McSheffrey somebody who's never been in this position before as a manager to to deal with and given the, the, the youth uh, running through this squad you know this is a very young squad there's not much experience in there either I, I mean I'm finding it basically impossible to see any way that Doncaster survive um, in in terms of, of staying up this season. It, mm. it, there's not enough quality in the team. I don't think there's enough quality to, from what we've seen so far in the dugout and that's may, maybe due to inexperience rather than talent but that's how it looks at the moment. Um, and they've gone and given you know Morecambe aside who's formed themselves have been really poor recently. Um, a 3-0 down here they were staring down moving into the relegation zone and conceding points to the team bottom of the table at home. But now they've managed to put themselves a bit of distance between them and the four teams below them. And compared to Doncaster, who are a side who you have no faith now in them being able to manage games, in Morecambe it's it's completely different. This is not the first time you've seen an incredible late show um, to to get them there. And then the key difference as well is that Morecambe know that finishing 20th this season is an incredible achievement. And so therefore when they do go down... There's there's less to be um, worried about, unlike with Doncaster, as you said on the pod you last week. When they week. go down, do you mean when they go behind? When they go behind, not when they get relegated. When they get relegated, that will be sad. Currently nineteenth. But but, um, <laughs> but for Doncaster, as you say, when you consider where they were this time last year, um, you know we talk about QPR's good good twenty twenty one. You know, not quite a few of us um, had pretty ropey 2021s but I think Doncaster in terms of a, of a football team uh, it's hard to think of many who had worse and it did not start too well in 2022 Did you have a bad year? I know I had a good well I mean there are lots of reasons why this year was bad mm. Getting married was okay I love you getting married Yeah um, lots of other nice things happened but yeah I think mm-hmm. I think in the in the list of years given you know, the, the ongoing global pandemic it mm. wasn't the highest. Yeah, I heard about that. Stockton scored two for Morecambe. He had witnessed <laughs> uh, Ross Stewart score a hat-trick a few days before and go ahead of him in the goal-scoring charts. He'd witnessed Michael Smith scoring two on New Year's Day. More on that shortly. Uh, and that meant that Smith had gone ahead of Stockton as well. So his two goals, the first two in the comeback, put him joint top with Stewart on 15 goals this season. The second one in particular was lovely, lovely composure uh, in, in, a, in a chaotic penalty box to sit a few defenders down, wait for the ball to fall to him before passing it into the corner of the net. And then it was all about Diagoraga's winning goal, which was, yeah, a goal fit to win a 4-3, that's for sure. An absolute rocket from a player who I think Stephen Robinson said I've never actually seen him shoot before so I wasn't expecting much when he lined that one up um, okay. I think I think Diego Raga's played enough EFL football for enough teams and been so popular everywhere he's been uh, I was talking to Clinton Morrison at Quest yesterday and he was like yeah I went on loan to Brentford I barely played it wasn't my favourite loan move ever but all I remember is how much everyone loved Tombs he was just a great <laughs> guy so um, you know even more reason to be happy for Diago Raga for Morecambe the last time they won before this was Stockton's halfway line goal in the 95th minute against Fleetwood and then this one 3-0 down and 4-3 Ideally, they would win more often and, dare I say it, less creatively. Mm. Um, but you can't help but feel sometimes that Morecambe are still being smiled on by the football gods and why not? Rotherham 2, Bolton 1. I mentioned Smith at the double. He's probably the story here because 
Big Michael Smith, who, as we know, offers so much more than just goals, but he had gone seven without for, for the league's top team. Uh, and Rotherham, you know, they haven't been hitting their, the heights of the, the last few months in the last, what, four games? And they certainly weren't at their best here either. And yet both Rotherham goals looked like classic Rotherham goals. The first one in particular, uh, across just hung up, back stick, four, four Rotherham players attacking it, Smith heading it in. And the second one, Chio Ogbene, finally, George, <laughs> finally gets his first assist of the season. We've been slagging off assists as a poor measure of creative players for a long time. And this is possibly the most egregious example. Ogbene, per Ollie Walker, who tweeted this earlier of Statsbomb, great friend of the pod, 39 key passes in open play. We know that key passes often get skewed by set piece takers. 39 key passes in open play for Ogbené and 4.6 expected goals assisted this season. He's up there with the best creators in League One. But for some reason, the chances that he's created have not been finished off by his teammates. That wasn't the case. He put one on the head of Smith, who headed it home. 2-1 Rotherham against Bolton. Uh, Bolton, not a great day for them. I think they, they performed okay, better than some of their games in the last few months, but still losing. Exciting signing of Dion Charles, though, mm. uh, who, of course, hasn't been playing for Accrington this season after a contract dispute with John Coleman and Andy Holt. But I think Bolton can be pretty excited to have picked him up. It's clearly an area of the pitch where they could do with more quality. Um, I mean, I was going to say to help out Owen Doyle, who did score their goal here. Realistically, I mean to replace Owen Doyle, who I believe is heading back to Ireland in mm. a few months' time to wind down his career. Charles is, if he's fit and if he's sharp, He's a live wire at this level. He's a mobile attacking player. He's fairly skillful on the ball, but it's all about his movement for me and his dynamism. He doesn't always make the best decisions on the ball, and he's one of those guys who scores some really good goals and probably will miss some quite good chances as well. But I'm feeling really good about that signing for Bolton, and I think it represents another step on, on the club's sort of rebirth because it's the first time they've paid a fee for a player for something like six years because of everything they went through. So um, I thought I'd end that wanderer's bit on a positive. Nice touch there. George, a couple of other wins in League One. I'd be interested to know which ones you want to talk about. Burton smashed crew 4-1. Shrewsbury beat Sheffield Wednesday 1-0. And Wickham went to Charlton and left with all three, a 1-0 win. Shrewsbury against Sheffield Wednesday, mm. I think. Um, again, I whilst... Daniel Udo did not um, score. Hopefully, those who listen to the betting show, I mentioned. Got injured. Yeah, he came off. Mm. Um, hopefully, those who listen to the betting show, because uh, I mentioned there that I thought Shrewsbury were, were a price, um, copped on because the Sheffield Wednesday side, and it's a bit of a funny one. Um, I, I, I just playing incredibly poorly. Um, the two, I mean, it's been a. They 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 had their two postponements. Um, over the Christmas period, both home games against Accrington and Burton. Coming into that, they'd only lost, um, they hadn't lost a, a league game and since the 2nd of October, where they lost um, to Oxford 2-1 at Hillsborough. That's a lot of games, um, you know, playing consistently, picking up points, not winning as many as they'd like, drawing a lot of games as well, um, but very, very solid. Um, and they went into that break having disposed of, of crew 2-0 away from home Um and then, for whatever reason, they you know we've seen a few teams after a COVID break come back, not really at it, but the level of which Sheffield Wednesday have dropped is is massive. They were poor against Sunderland, as I said, Sunderland weren't particularly good. You, you know that a team weren't that good when you say on TV Sunderland weren't that good and they won five nil, and their fans are like, yeah, 
Because <laughs> normally they're like, so, I mean, how dare you say that? But they're like, yeah. Yeah, but what, I mean, they didn't create that much. just they, can't believe how much the, that lot have warmed to you <laughs> after the issues that you experienced just, well, less than three years ago. Um, well, yeah. Uh, but it was probably about exactly three years ago, I think. Um, but here again, you know, Shrews, Shrews are a decent side now. I think we have to say that after what was a, a yes. really poor start to the season. They are consistently operating at a very high level. Um, they've won three of their last four. The draw came at home to Accrington in a game where they missed loads of chances to take the lead, at least. Um, and Steve Cottrell has them massively improved on, on what we saw early on in the campaign. And credit to them. Um, you know, the goal itself was a, you know, it came from a set piece. It, it wasn't necessarily from a, a moment of magic from Shrewsbury. And there wasn't a great deal between the two sides. But when... You know, just to repeat that, there wasn't a great deal between Shrewsbury Town and Sheffield Wednesday, who were relegated from the Championship last season. Um, that is a, a massive achievement in itself from Shrewsbury. Sheffield Wednesday, I've seen a lot of fans on social media recently pointing the, the finger squarely at, at, at Darren Moore. I, I don't necessarily think that's fair. A lot of people saying he'd never achieved anything in management before going to them. Well, I, I think if you look at the turnaround of Doncaster in the last year, um, he probably was achieving something pretty pretty special at Donny. I'm not sitting here thinking that Darren Moore is a great manager by any stretch, but I'm also not convinced that he is the issue. I think we said at the time the the recruitment in 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 the summer was was very very naive as to what is needed to become a good League One side. Um, going after players whose star was falling uh, fairly consistently wasn't really the way to go about it, and they're paying the price now. You know they'll be fine. They'll finish mid table. They have never really this season looked much better than that. Um, but for whatever reason, they you know the, the, it feels like the COVID break couldn't have come at a worse time, especially because the two games they missed, you know, looked on paper to have been games that they should have picked up. Mm. You know, continued their good form. Wickham went to the Valley and won one nil. And as we've seen so often this season, it was a, a flash of serious quality from Gareth McCleary. Uh, finished off by Sam Vokes. Those two, I think McCleary's definitely got six goals, four assists. So we're talking 10 goal contributions. I think Vokes is maybe seven goals and two or three assists. So he's getting around there as well. Of course, both of them summer signings and um, the sorts of players with championship pedigree that Wickham, before uh, they went on this incredible journey, which, you know, under Ainsworth, you could argue they've been on for a decade or so, but more particularly the last few years, would not ordinarily have been able to attract. But of course, you know, the added strength that they had financially from that time in the championship, plus the even greater respect that Ainsworth has within the game, and in particular for renaissances, for player renaissances, for guys going to Ainsworth who are not ready for their careers to wind down, and he extends them by three, four, five years in some cases. Mm. Uh, we're seeing that now with a, a, an, an even better quality of player in McCleary and, and Vokes, uh, and it's very, very impressive. We've also seen... And it's not just limited to this season, but something we've seen them do very effectively for a few years now, the way they saw out this game. Now, you know when Wickham have won because you see the tweets from the opposition fans. Anti-football, time-wasting, yeah, it's not it. right, we don't like it. I've never, ever got upset about it. But I also understand I'm not coming from a position of... of uh, well, I'm not coming from a position of standing in the away end or in the home end as it was here, getting more and more wound up about it. I can understand why it winds teams up, but it's something that they're very, very good at. They see out games. That's probably the euphemism for, or the catch-all term for everything that they do. Some of it might be 
whatever you call it, sportsmanship, time wasting. I just don't care. They just win games. That's what I, I think. think. I mean, that's my view. Like who? You know, you can argue about a team style of play and whether you would like to watch it as a fan or whether you think it would produce results. But <laughs> complaining that you've lost to a, an, a style of play that doesn't uh, subscribe to your idea of, of football is, is you know, I, I, if I was supporting, if I was a Wickham fan, I'd absolutely love it every mm. time. Um, you know, they, they don't care. And nor should they. Uh, even more impressive victory, given that neither Anthony Stewart or Tafazoli were in the starting eleven. Uh, they're key centre-backs, you'd say. They needed a, a big performance from a young CB, Chris Farino. Mm. Now, I know what you're thinking. I would imagine he'd be a young QB. Chris Farino, was, fresh out of Ohio State. I was wondering if he wears any Merino wool. <laughs> Chris Farino, <laughs> wearing Merino. <laughs> Watching Dan Marino. Yeah. Uh, he is not a QB, he's a CB. And he's a hell of a story as well. I mean, this isn't someone whose career was coming to an end that Ainsworth and Dobson have extended. This is someone who hadn't had a football career and was not expecting to have a professional football career until this time last year. Farino was studying at Loughborough University and he had played a bit of non-league. I think he was involved at Brentford when he was much younger been a non-league action he's at Loughborough getting a degree he's making other plans George he gets a call from like an agent that he knows not even his agent who says Wickham are playing a sort of B team type game at Bisham they need numbers just to put up an opposition against the team they're putting out do you want to come and play sure I'll pop down from Loughborough I'll play this game he plays the game he's literally they've they've literally said just make up the numbers here and they've gone hold on who's that Chris Farino, young QB out of Ohio State. Really? Can we get him? Yeah. Here we go. And now he's starting games in the League One promotion battle. Wow. Uh, he was excellent here. The Wickham fans are loving it. I think in the same sort of mould as their other centre-backs. Very much head it, kick it, defend, keep the ball out of the goal at all costs. I'm not sure we're going to see him quarterbacking from the heart of the defence, <laughs> spraying passes, but maybe we'll see. Uh, MK nil, Jill's nil. MK, as you can probably imagine, had a lot of the ball, had a few chances, but probably not as many as, as they should have. I don't think they were at their best here. And Jill's rear guard action was really impressive. They'd lost five in a row before this, but Bennett and Aimer particularly put their bodies on the line to, to keep MK Dons at bay. Uh, it's a big point for Jill's that. And George, Oxford won, Cheltenham won, rounds us off. Um, oh no, I should mention Cambridge nil, Portsmouth nil. That game was on this afternoon. And unfortunately, we just weren't really across it. No. I know that it was quite a spicy affair. Uh, there was a red card for Smith. There was a uh, Cambridge wanted Pompey down to 10 in the first half, but it was nil-nil. So I'll ask you instead about Oxford 1, Cheltenham 1. Is there anything we need to know? Um, I, th I think this was a better performance from Cheltenham than we've seen recently. I think it was more what we're used to seeing Cheltenham produce, where the opposition weren't able to create loads of chances. I think it was Oxford's poorest performance so f well, not so far this season, but in this very, very good run that Oxford are on. The missed penalty probably had a big impact, um, given Oxford's home form. Um, you know, it would have been a tall order for Cheltenham to get back in the game, having gone behind. 
uh, I think it sounded like a, a, a point was a, was a fair reflection on what we saw after Mark Sykes. Mark Sykes now with eight goals this season, having scored none last season. Interestingly, he gave a, an interview with the local press where he basically said, I could have been unbelievable last season. No one would have noticed I wasn't scoring goals. Now I'm scoring goals. Everyone's getting excited, which mm. I quite like. Um, but he is a player who I like a lot and I'm delighted to see that he's getting the credit that he deserves and hopefully the new contract that comes with that as well and also the you know the biggest news for me at the moment as an Oxford fan is is that Gavin White is it's taken a while you know I did not think it would be beginning of Jan and we wouldn't have seen Gavin White score a, a league goal yet but here we are but he's making a massive impact he looks you know he looked pretty devoid of confidence when he came back to, to Oxford bit of a shadow of the of the player we used to see but that's now four assists I think in his last three and his aggressive running the way he gets on the ball his crossing ability you know, the goals will come too but he is starting to look like the player who was bought for a lot of money by a, an ambitious championship side a couple of years ago great point for Cheltenham and they needed that as well poor recent form I want to credit Owen Evans because I love it when keepers stand up tall and save the <laughs> penalty that gets smashed down the middle uh, really impressive stuff at a crucial moment in that game as well. League two, Swindon five, Northampton two. We're going to start with this one was one all at half time. Mm. There was not a chance this scoreline was on the cards at that point. Swindon had knocked it around a bit. Northampton had scored a nice goal through Hoskins. Swindon had scored a nice goal as well through McCurdy. And the big question was how will Northampton respond from? basically having three weeks without a game. Swindon had played a couple of days before in midweek. The answer was not well. Cobblers went 2-1 up, then conceded four goals in 16 minutes. They looked uncharacteristically open. I'm confident in saying they were fairly exhausted, but Swindon were far too sharp for them. Simpson and McCurdy, particularly up front, were sensational. And at the back, Swindon were missing three centre-backs. They had Rob Hunt, who's like five foot eight, playing centre-back, which against the Northampton team, whose top scorers are their centre-backs, is and Hoskins, is not ideal. But he did very well, and Swindon just blitzed them. Um, it was all about McCurdy, obviously, because he scored four. And, you know, we saw him play live at Orient, George. He is... Nuisance. I reckon if I was only able to use the phrase box office for five players across the whole EFL... McCurdy would definitely be one of them. Yeah, he's just one of those guys, right? And he's also a player who seems to love celebrating in front of um, opposition fans. Correct. Which is, in itself is pretty box office. His finishes, two with his right, two with his left. Poacher-type goals, although we know he can offer a lot running in behind and, and quality on the ball as well. So exciting. You know, all year I've been saying, whenever we've spoken about McCurdy, this is a guy I loved at Carlisle, even though the fans hated him <laughs> this is a player who Vale signed and I thought yes he can give you quality in the final third of the pitch and they didn't fancy him at all he barely played a minute last season and no one was disappointed about that apart from me it felt this season Ben Garner's put his arm around him he's obviously coping with McCurdy's uh, eccentricity shall we say the fans for the most part seem to be alright with it uh, and that's because he's doing the sort of stuff that he's doing here I, I would just shout out Tyree Simpson as well because I think I read he only completed eight passes in this game. It didn't. It That's didn't, not his job, is it? It doesn't matter. No. Yeah, he did so much else, and his goal was the sort of goal that if I was an Ipswich fan or anyone involved within the club, I'd be watching that, feeling very, very excited. Controlling a long ball from Reed brilliantly, literally a defender trying to close him down, just bouncing off him, 
Simpson shifting it onto his right foot, creating space for the shot, and on his weaker right foot, smashing it into the top corner. Um, these are the flashes that we've seen from him that hopefully we're going to see from him more and more often the more senior football he plays. Um, I, I don't know his full-back story, but we've certainly been told before from um, Joe, who's a great member of the NTT20 squad, that Simpson, was he was going to be a rugby player, or at least that's what he thought he was going to be. Hmm. Only a, only We're only talking like two or three years ago. He was a rugby player playing rugby as a young player. Uh, and someone's managed to persuade him to play football, and I'm so glad that they have. Um, Sutton 2, Exeter 1. George, my big question to you here is, because it wasn't a cracking game, to be honest, Exeter missing all three of their senior centre-backs, uh, and the youngsters did their best, but Bugiel dominated them physically. My question to you is, tough one just to drop on you. If there was an award for Club of the Year in English football at like the at Sports Personality of the Year, let's say. Football yeah. only. English Club of the Year. And, you know, it wasn't Gareth Southgate's England. Ridiculous. I think Sutton United could have been it. They win a promotion from the National League, a league that's almost entirely professional as a semi-professional team. They win 28 league games in total in 2021 because they step up to League Two and they keep winning. And they're currently in the top three. The only teams that got more league points than Sutton in the calendar year of 2021 were Manchester City and Sunderland, who, for the leagues that they are in, should be picking up the most amount of points. And Sutton moved up a division halfway through. I know we basically say the same thing about Sutton every week, and it's probably quite boring, but in the absence of much match analysis here, because I don't think it was a great game, let's just say it again. This is a footballing fairy tale that continues. Yeah, I mean, you've asked me a question there and then given the answer and given some really good um, in- info to it as well. That's so. unlike me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, mate, I spent yesterday in at Quest preparing notes on all of these games. You spent yesterday getting on it in Bath. No, I didn't. I, just, I didn't have a Sorry. drink yesterday. Travelling back Thank from you. Bath. I was on a train. I'm right, not having a go at you. I was working and you I'm just saying. I know. You know. I know, mate. I know. Um, yes. Uh, write the theme tune. Sing the theme <laughs> <laughs> Sing the theme tune. I'll, let, I'll leave it to the listeners to decide who's had a drink today. Um... <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. what else can you say about what Sutton have Just done? Just say yes, and yeah. I'll ask you about another game if you want. Okay. Say no, yes. well, no, that's, that's I, I think we should say that what Sutton are doing is, is amazing. And, you know, it's another performance against a side who, who, are, who are a decent side, who are going to be in the mix for promotion as well, who, um, who they've taken three points off. And, yeah, I said it over and over again this time last year, anyone who doesn't think that, anyone who didn't think Morecambe were a... Um, viable promotion candidate um, needs to get used to that fact pretty quickly and I think we can say the same about Sutton now Forest Green 2-0 Stevenage I'm going to leave to you because I need to talk about Walsall 3 Newport 3 so I was on Quest yesterday and in the morning I got up to watch the highlights of the games from the day before from New Year's Day and I was able to watch a 10 minute highlights package of Walsall 3 Newport 3 And don't get me wrong, I don't watch 10-minute highlights packages of every EFL game. In fact, only a small percentage of them. But I'm willing to say this is a a 10 out of 10 football match and possibly one of the best we've seen all season. Even better than Oldham 5, Forest Green 5. It it had four goals fewer, but I think it was a better game. Can I just point out that this was your segue into me talking about Forest Green against Stevenage? I was just queuing you up for some <laughs> Forest Green so you can you can let some thoughts percolate while I talk okay, about Walsall 3 right, Newport you go. 3. It's all about you, George, and you being ready for an answer. 
So I'm making sure that you are ready because you keep having to load the page up so that you can remember what happened in no. the games. Um, Warsaw 3, Newport 3. I don't really know where to start here. Um, let me talk you through the last few minutes of it because Newport went 3-2 up. Um, they scored straight from kickoff to go 3-2 up. It was Telford's second goal of the season. They had a chance to extend their lead through Courtney Baker-Richardson, a one-on-one. This is with like 20 minutes to go. And then in the in injury time, Rushworth, the Walsall keeper, comes out of his goal to head away a bouncing ball and it goes to Wilmot of Newport. He rolls it from like 50 yards and it just misses the post as like seven players descend on the ball to try and put it in. But it just goes wide of the post. That would have put Newport 4-2 up. 30 seconds later, Connor Wilkinson has a shot that's parried out for a corner. From that corner, it's worked, crossed in, edge of the box, Wilkinson flicks it up with his left foot, flicks it onto his right foot, and then volleys it into the top corner. The most amazing, one of the most amazing injury time goals of the season uh, with respect to Cole Stockton. And then they had another chance. The last kick of the game was a George Miller bicycle kick saved by Townsend. If that had gone in, we'd have had to shut the whole season down. (laughs) That wasn't even, it's not the only amazing thing that happened in this game because Wilkinson came on in the 52nd minute he scored with his first touch. He came on as Walsall had a corner. He trotted on. The corner just fell straight to his foot and he tapped it in. And then two minutes later, he was tracking back uh, down his right. <laughs> Newport were building down Walsall's left. Cross in, back post. The attacker in front of Wilkinson misses it and he just heads it into his own net. So he'd come on, scored with his first touch, scored an own goal two minutes later, scored one of the goals of the season in the 94th minute to win the game. Amazing stuff. Incredible. I couldn't agree more. And, I, and, and I, that goal, this has been a weekend of amazing goals across football. Um, and that goal from Connor Wilkinson is up there with the best of them. An unbelievable hit, a bit of skill and a, and a strike as well. Forest Green, Stevenage, you say? Mm. Oh, I better get the page up. I'd love to know what happened in that one. Uh, I mean, it was a regulation home win for Forest Green, wasn't it really? Stevenage had something of a chance to take the lead at 0-0. But after that, it was pretty much relentless pressure from Forest Green. Frustrating, I think, for Paul Tisdale after such a good performance away at Swindon to come up against the best team in the division away from home um, and to be kind of taught a bit of a lesson. No surprise it was Kane Wilson who was getting in amongst the goals. You know, if you're going to have your Sports Personality of the Year team award, who would be the Sports Personality of the Year? League Two footballer. Um, Paul Mullen. Most improved. Kane Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible what he's doing and I am intrigued to see what is going to happen at Forest Green in January. Are they going to be able to keep this team together now? Are they going to look to maybe sell players for a decent fee and reinvest, which would probably be the smart thing to do? I noticed that Matt Stevens wasn't in the squad. I think there were some suggestions that he might have COVID, but nothing confirmed. Um, you know, Ibu Adams is off to AFCON with Gambia. Yes, Josh They've March. got two League Two players in their squad, Gambia. Ibu Torre of Salford and Ibu Adams of Forest Green. So if anyone's looking for a team to support <laughs> at AFCON, it's it's the Gambia. Maybe we should do a bit of content around Gambia. I'm definitely buying a shirt. We could watch we could watch a game and then do a pod after. I'll get Adams on the back and you get Torre. If you'd like us to watch Gambia's AFCON game, then let us know and we will do some podcasts around it. Um yeah, Josh March with his first start of the season gets a goal. Love that. I think this is just, it was the same as Stevens, it's the same now with March. Whoever plays in up front for this Forest Green team 
I, you know, I think you would score a couple of goals. To be fair, I mean, I definitely would. I don't, yeah. know, I, don't know, I would. Having said that, um, they do score the majority of their goals from crosses, and March's goal was a banging header from a Wilson cross. Yeah, and I've never scored a header in my life. I, so. could, I could see you doing it. I think you'd be fine. I'd need to ask them to send in some low crosses. Um, but yeah, they are, I mean, they're superb. Yeah. So it was a nice story that, because March, as you say, he's had to bide his time all season. Stevens and Matt have not only been amazing, but they've also been available for basically every game. Josh March, waiting in the wings, scores on his first start. And um, yeah, it was a nice touch from Rob Edwards to say afterwards, no one works harder than March. He's basically the hardest working player in their squad. He's come through non-league. He said afterwards, yeah, working hard's easy for me because I know what it's like to get up early and work in a factory. So this doesn't feel like hard work to me. Uh, it was a really nice story and another strong weekend. Forest Green, what are they, seven points clear? They've played the fewest games of anyone in the promotion picture and it's going to take something special to derail their season, that's for sure. Uh, Crawley 3, Cole U1. I want to shout out Crawley's front three of Kwesi Appiah, Tom Nichols and Ashley Nadison because they are playing brilliantly. It's only been a few games that they've been playing brilliantly, but if they can all stay fit, and if this new 3-4-3 formation is robust enough at the back, Crawley are a team to keep one eye on. And I, and I say one eye because I can't trust Yems's Crawley to be good enough defensively to send them towards the playoffs, I don't think. Or at least I'm not ready to say that now. But with this front three, they are going to cause teams a lot of problems. And I think goals, if you're a punter, goals might be the way to look because... We saw Nichols assist Nadison. We saw Appiah assist Nadison. Appiah's been their star this season. Nichols was their star last season. And Nadison is someone who I really think has a good half season in him if he can settle and play properly. Uh, they all combined really well. They're such a handful. Far too good for Colchester's defence, which, as we know, is pretty poor anyway. Crawley have only kept one clean sheet in their last 10. But if they can improve defensively as well, then I could see them rising a few places. They're already a few places higher than I probably would have guessed. Um, so yeah, as ever, Yems is gems, uncut, the team to watch. George, do you want to talk about Barrow 1, Bradford 2, or Scunny 0, Carlisle 1? You watched the Scunthorpe game quite closely, didn't you? Mm-hmm. So I will do the other then. What was it? <laughs> That's very thoughtful of you. This one's Barrow 1, Bradford 2. Bradford winless in seven before this one. A welcome return to their cook up front. Yeah, um, not necessarily. Well, it's it's one of those classic games where one team takes the lead, takes a two-goal lead fairly early classic. on. Classic. And then the opposition, obviously, therefore, dominate every single stat in the yes, game. I did notice um, that. From 2-0 onwards, Barrow had 13 shots to none. Exactly. But it's easy to play when you're 2-0 down. Yeah, 515 passes, 280. Like, they... It looks like they battered them, but um, this is a big result for Bradford. Um, you know, a, a manager in Derek Adams, who I think has been fairly getting some criticism from from the fan base. Um, this was their first league win since the 23rd of October, where they went and beat Spindon 3-1, um, even though they've had a fair few cancellations or a fair few um, postponements, sorry. Um, that is too long for a team who are touted by some so-called experts as being one of the automatic challengers this season. Um, I was impressed with them at times during that run, to be honest, but I think in recent weeks it hasn't been as good. So for them to go to Barrow, Barrow a team who are really struggling at the moment, um, and get a result is is big. Um, and they'll hopefully use that as an opportunity, because as we know in League 2, it doesn't take much to get yourself back into it. And after that win, if Bradford can pick up a few wins, they're only in 12th now, only six uh, six points off the playoffs. You know, it, it doesn't take much for them to put themselves back in that top seven. You know how with Slavisa Jokanovic, because he's done it before, 
we've spoken a lot about like, well, his teams often start poorly and then finish strongly. Yeah. I feel like Derek Adams is in a way the League Two version because his Morecambe side last season they picked up the most points in League Two after Christmas last season. And yeah. if Bradford can do the same. And there's there's no reason why you should just expect that because a manager did it with a completely different club, yeah, yeah. he'll do it with this one. But you can talk yourself into them kicking on. I'm not sure the fans are actually quite as <laughs> quite as optimistic <laughs> about it, to be honest. I did watch Scunny Neil Carlisle one. You're right, George. And I watched it partly because I had picked Scunthorpe to win on the betting show. And so I had... My scunny hat on. I've obviously had a scunny hat on for a few weeks uh, alongside many in the NTT20 squad because we are managing them on FM22 and enjoying doing so. Um, And uh, I was frustrated because I'd enjoyed their second half display against, who was it, uh, down at the bottom with them, Oldham. Uh, And they they did dominate the ball for the most part in this game against Carlisle. You could see that, I don't know, the the intent was there. Mm. But the execution was not there. Lots of frustrating final balls. They did not click in the final third. And Carlisle, who I haven't, I certainly wasn't impressed with them in terms of, you know, putting in a really good performance level. But they defended resolutely. They held a set piece threat. Their goal came from a set piece. There's, there's probably something in that at this part of the division. You know, I probably shouldn't focus on the fact that Scunthorpe had most of the ball. I should focus on the team that that were more comfortable in the game. And mm. and maybe you'd say Carlisle were. That means they've beaten Stevenage and Scunthorpe in their last two games, Carlisle. And I might not think that they look like a completely different team under Keith Millen. And I'm not that impressed necessarily with what they're doing in possession, patterns of play, things like that. But you can't argue with the fact that the last two games have seen them pick up massive three points to keep the relegation zone at arm's length. Um, and that they've defended very, very resolutely in that time. Um, so fair play to Carlisle United. Hartlepool nil, Oldham nil. Sounds like a rubbish game. Actually wasn't. Quite an exciting one, just with some terrible finishing. Loads of woodwork hit. <laughs> Loads of woodwork hit. Yeah. Uh, DKD, Keeler, Keeler Davis. Keeler Dunn? Keeler Dunn. Where have I got with Keenan Davis, Keeler Dunn. Keenan Davis has just signed right, for Forest. Right, sorry. You yeah, can I, th- see. I thought you were saying that was his full name and I was getting very confused. Stobbs as well, missed a bit of a sitter. Hollahan and Ferguson off the post for pools. Uh, nil-nil there. And that's been the end of this pod. Yes. Sponsored by Betfair, who we thank for their continued support of Not The Top 20 podcast. George and I are off to buy our Gambia shirts. Mm-hmm. One with Ibu Adams on the back, one with I Torre on the back. And I'd love you, George, just to tease what we're going to do this time next week because one of the features of NTT20 and this time of year over the last few years has been a a podcast episode, a special, if you will, not breaking down the weekend action, but taking the midpoint of the season and going big. Yeah. Have we got a special next week? We do. We're going to do a mid-season special, aren't we? Mm. Um, Where we are going to... Uh, look to take stock as to what we've seen um we're going to try and work out a different way of doing it. we've done a couple of these in the past we've done kind of report cards and we've done higher or lower which was a game looking at our um pre-season predictions but we're going to work out we've a done way deal or no deal we've done <laughs> a million pound drop we're gonna work out a way to um yeah, just to play bullseye as a, <laughs> as, a, as, a as a podcast um sounds pointless you were on pointless um, which is so we're going to work out a way to do that which should be very fun so we're going to be telling you who's going up and who's going down so you just can clock off for the rest of the season that's next Monday we hope you'll join us then 
Uh, on Thursday, we'll have a betting show out ahead of a weekend which sees a smattering of EFL action and plenty of FA Cup third round action. I won't need to remind the regular betting show listeners that George loves FA Cup third round weekend. Mm. So make sure you listen to the betting show if you are that way inclined later on this week. Thanks for bearing with us on this podcast. It's been loose. It's been, I was going to say it's been fast and loose, but it certainly hasn't been fast. It never is. (laughs) It's the Not The Top 20 pod. Hope you've enjoyed listening. Go well. We'll talk again soon.